Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. Join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we chat with Toronto-based comedian Jacob Balshan. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. Jacob was born in Thornhill as in a two-time winner of the I Heart Jokes Award, Newcomer of the Year in Toronto. Jacob recently recorded his TV debut for CBC's New Wave of Comedy at the Just for Laughs Northwest Festival. On July 7th, his new comedy special will debut on YouTube called 30-something and Breathing Funny. Take a listen. I got compliments on my body, but they're not like compliments you want. Shut up. They're not compliments you want when you're a man. I don't get good, like, compliments... Because I don't get compliments from other men. I only get compliments from women. And I want compliments from women, but not these ones. Like, it's never like, can I touch your abs? It's always just like, I wish I had your legs. I gotta be like, oh, thanks, Linda. I wish I had your ability to hurt people with words. What a gift. I tried getting weights online and Bezos sent me the wrong size weights. Bezy baby sent me weights that are too big for my little boy body. So now I just have 30 days to get strong enough to return the weights. That joke is four months old, so I just own weights. They're up my ex-girlfriend's house. <laughs> dead weight with some more dead weight. So, David, are you a big comedy person? Do you go see a lot of stand-up? You know, I've been seeing not live stand-up, but I've been watching a tremendous amount on Instagram. I think my uh, the the um, the Instagram gods have sort of figured out what my niche is for comedy, and now I'm just seeing tons of like Sugar Sammy and some other American comedians all the time. The algorithm is working. I, that's what I meant to say. The I feel like I don't see that much stand up, and people often ask me like, "Oh, who's your favorite comedian?" And I'm like, "Um, like I watch a lot of comedy, but not like stand up specials. Like I'll watch comedic TV shows or like classic comedic TV shows or modern whatever. But I don't follow a lot of people, and people are always aghast when I don't know who someone is. So it was kind of fun to have the assigned task of seeking out comedy specials and clips from our guests today. Yeah, no, that's very true. Like there are some great, I think, tremendous comedic talents on Netflix and all their specials. And that's a huge big deal. Mm -hmm. But I can't really think of anyone like Hannah Gatsby comes to mind right now. Right. And, and her, her specials. See, like I watch Please Like Me, but I've never seen her special. <laughs> uh, Perfect example. Absolutely. So yeah, as you were saying, we we had a we, we chatted with a comedian, Jacob Balshin, today. He's just about to launch his comedy special. So it was great to to get to know him a bit better, his background, growing up in Thornhill, his Jewishness, uh, and his comedy styling. So just to get a bit of the in of what it's like being a young up and coming comic in Canada. So, Jacob, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You have the coolest wallpaper, I have to say. Oh, it's like you. floral and all these autumnal colors. It's pretty awesome. I spend a lot of time inside Value Villages. Mm, <laughs> I've already been to one today. You? Oh, have you? You're, that's, that's how you decorate your house? <laughs> yeah. 
all day. I I literally go to I'm at so least one it. value village every day. Every day, whoa. Every day. Well, it's how I make my money. Have you have you done a set yet about thrifting at Value Village? Do you get like a comedian's discount? No, to be honest, I hate Value Village so much that I can't make it funny. Like I find them so infuriating. <laughs> That I don't see what's well, okay going because I used to work there. That was like my first part-time job ever. So, so I, I feel infuriated by that store. What what infuriates you? Well, to me, what's infuriating is it's a it poses as a charity shop, like as a thing of a good deed, like you're donating, but it's owned by billionaires. So you're literally just giving. It's poor people giving money to rich people, and then they like overprice things at like thirty dollars and donate like three cents of that money to a charity. And you're like, okay, this seems pretty messed up. Yeah, I would, I would agree. That was the big, that was a big scam, and I only found out about that much later on when I was working there. I thought I did. I thought it was like this is the place to go when you need a good deal, and this is a big place that that is giving back to the community. But it's not true. No, you're just literally lying. Anyway, we could talk more. I have. I have so many thoughts on like the Valley Village boutique, but let's talk about you, Jacob. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Sorry, first, I got Jewish right all, away. Jacob. Just ranting about Valley Village. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were growing up, I want to hear a bit about um, what it was like to be uh, an aspiring comedian in Thornhill. I don't know if you knew you were going to go into comedy, but that's certainly not the first place I think of as like a a place of up and coming comedians. So what was that like? I definitely didn't think about it till like university. It definitely, but I did go to like uh, Westmount, which is a very artsy school. Like a lot of the kids I grew up with, they would make like YouTube videos that were pretty popular when we were kids. And it seemed pretty accessible by the time I'd done it. I knew a friend who had tried it. I don't know, Judaism and comedy go hand in hand. Like a lot of people I grew up with do comedy. A girl named Laura Lebo, it was very funny dating oh, yeah, my we cousin went to my sister's bat mitzvah like it's just a uh, the amount of people who will just randomly start doing comedy and i'm like oh i went to elementary school with this person is pretty astounding i would like it to stop so you're saying the secret is actually to grow up in thornhill like you need it to be in thornhill be. and then you will become a comedian you can grow up anywhere <laughs> and I before think, you uh, went into comedy beautiful and before you went into comedy, I saw online that you studied philosophy. How did that happen? What was your plan with that? Were you going to be like a philosophy professor and then you changed gears? No, I was just kind of putting off my parents being mad at me. They were like, you need a degree. And I was like, okay, well, let's go to school. And then slowly I was like, okay, this is the easiest one for me. It takes the least amount of work. I go to class the least. My grades stay the same. So I'll just continue this one. It's an interesting degree. I learned a lot. And do you bring any of your philosophy into your comedy? Absolutely. I mean, I learned a lot about just life from philosophy. You're just listening to some of the smartest minds talk about their existence. So it's pretty, pretty good thing to be doing. It doesn't help you in any way. You're never going to get a job from it, but fun times. Okay, so you grew up in Thornhill. You went to the same bat mitzvah as Laura Lebo. And then you went to philosophy to please your parents. And then what happened? How did the comedy start? Uh, I started comedy in university in the last year. I started making like comedy sketches with my roommate who actually filmed the special I'm putting out. So it's kind of like a full circle. I lived with these two guys. One of them plays guitar and one of them is like very good at filming stuff. And they had started art like way earlier in life than me. One of them's name is Stuart Weinberg. He plays guitar in the special. And he had started like music when we were kids. So he, I was just around very artistic people and I just started figuring out what I did. 
It was a very interesting time. And what was it that you did? What was your kind of style at the time? What did you find that you wanted to talk about, bring about? What did you find funny? I mean, when you're starting, you just suck, to be completely candid. You just are bad. And you just got to be okay with that. Like, if you're going to start something, you're going to suck at it. And that's what's weird about starting comedy. You start it when you're pretty old. So people really can't handle sucking at stuff when they're old. Like, you're really capable when you're young. So a lot of people quit. But you just have to suffer a lot of embarrassment and horrible, horrible, shameful moments that you think about late at night. And then, yeah, you keep going. I feel like I think Alana and I can both relate because I'm sure we've had terrible audition experiences when we were young, just outside of theater school, too. And you do suck. You don't know what you're doing. You've been taught things, but none of it, I think, stayed in my head. And then some people do just end up giving up and sort of saying, I can't hack this life anymore. But you keep at it. And then eventually you start to figure out what works for you. Yeah, it's a marathon. It truly is. And did you have any initial inspirations when you were starting out, like comedians that you were like, oh, I want to be kind of that style? Or were there funny people in your family that you were kind of channeling? Well, who was like your comedy guru? I feel like I'm like very, uh, I'm very obsessed with comedy. Like I, I love comedy and it's kind of all I do is watch comedy. So I, I like I take from a lot of people and things, but I probably sounded like many different comics I liked when I started. It's really hard to figure out who you are. When you do comedy, your goal is to figure out who you are. And it's not that easy when you're starting and you're 20. You don't know anything about yourself. So it's pretty impossible. It's pretty impressive when anyone does. And so how did you navigate that? Like, how long did it take you to find your voice? And did you have any like tricks that got you there? I think it's ongoing still. And no, it's just... Figuring out how to be mentally healthy and happy and living your life. I mean, like, you can hit your head against the wall trying to get funnier every day, but that doesn't really make sense. It's not going to make you funnier. You just got to kind of be happy and see the joy in life. And then things that, like, you're you're going to be funnier. It's just how being funny works. You can't, like, be sad and then funny. Now, I was doing some research, and you're, you're quoted as saying that comedy is the easy part of your life. The rest is the struggle. Can you elaborate on that? I find comedy just pretty, I mean, like, not at first, like I'm saying, but at this point in my life, I've put in, like, a lot of hours. I can't express how many times I've gone on a stage and done comedy and how many places, and I've gone all around the country and a lot of places in the world, and it's just gotten to the point that I feel very comfortable on stage. It's not something I worry about. I just would like to get the other things in my life in order. I'm living, this is my sister's old bedroom you're talking to me in, so... Uh, it does being good at comedy doesn't really do much at a point. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true because you've amassed like what? Is it a million followers you have on TikTok now? Is that true? No, that would be cool. Whoever's TikTok you're looking at, I would love their TikTok. <laughs> Can we have, is there a guy with my name with a million followers? Because not only will that destroy all my confidence and I'm going to have to change my name. Yes, he's, 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 he's coming off as you on comedy, and he's amassed millions of people, and he's using your exact same jokes. Okay, but you still have, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok, you're amassing these followers right now. Yeah. Does that at all propel you in your comedy? Does that help you? Does that sort of give you more street cred? Um, yes and no. I mean, I tour the country with these two guys. Um, one of them's name is Che Dorena, the other one's name is Andrew Packer, and if you look at their... TikTok's Che has about nine or 10 million followers and Andrew has about like three. And I think I have like 40,000 followers. So my followership is very put in perspective by the people I'm around. And like, 
I understand it's really cool to have any following and fans. I'm like forever grateful for anyone, but it's a long haul. I think a lot of people in today's age just want to be famous right away and don't really think about like having a discernible mm. talent or like enjoying what they're doing and would trade off like, I don't really care. Whatever I get, I get. If you like my comedy, you like my I'm comedy. 40, I'm confident if I'm good, everything will come my way. 40,000 is still a lot of followers. I was going to ask, um, in terms of social media and TikTok, was that always part of your plan? You were like, you know what, I'm going to do live shows, I'm going to do some on social media, or did someone suggest that to you as a way to grow your fan base? To be honest, the two guys I tour with are like meticulous about social media, and it's like inspiring to be around. They sit down at like 7 or a.m. or 8 a.m., they're up making content one of them wears a suit with just his underwear on and starts like filming his videos and you're like i'm trying to sleep like i i'm lazy so i have to figure out how to make my thing work and also we live in an era where it's like i don't really subscribe to like quick content i don't know how to make it i don't yeah. like it it's not like uh natural to me and i don't knock it but i don't think there's longevity in it and i would like to make like things i'm very proud of and if it takes longer and if my fanship comes in years rather than tomorrow i really don't care now there's this one thing that i've discovered on social media i've read about where this phenomenon is happening where younger audiences are watching comedians online and they sort of think now stand-up is exclusively that moment where a comedian asks audience members, you know, what, what do you do for a living? Who are you here with? And they sort of don't realize that comedy is so much bigger than that. You have your, your whole story. You have everything going on. Have you noticed that in your shows, that difference between an older and a younger audience now because of social media? I notice it in comedians. I find I'm very judged by people that, I, like, I think people put me in a box that I do crowd work, and I barely do crowd work. It's just what I post because it's easier to post my crowd work than a joke I've formulated over oh, months because I can't, I can't get material as quickly as I can just talk to a person for a minute each show. It is very weird. Right. I think people misinterpret it. I, for me, I don't even think about the clips I put online. They're like a necessary evil. I don't necessarily like them. I don't think I stand behind a lot of them. <laughs> but people <laughs> seem to enjoy them. And I believe in putting out content. And I believe in being myself on stage. And I'm sharing myself, which is an extension of me. So that's positive. But I don't, I think we're in a bad time where people are going to watch what they're seeing and think comedy is crowd work. And it really isn't, but you should be able to do everything on stage. And I don't know, I just talk loosely and do my jokes and people want to talk. They kind of can. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've, you've also traveled around uh, across this country. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your experience has been like traveling as a Jewish comic, because you've been to small towns where maybe you're the first Jew these people have ever met. What was, how, have, what was that experience like? It's always interesting. I travel with me and uh, my friend Che is black. So it's often like... The comments after shows are very interesting. I think people misinterpret like hate and uh, like anti-Semitism like with just ignorance. And especially in a comedy atmosphere, a lot of people will come up and say jokes to you that are pretty horrible. And uh, yeah, I don't sometimes you don't know how to handle it. I don't know. I'm not a very like confrontational person. How have you been person, coping with so. that? How, pardon? How have you been coping with that? Do you just like block it out? <laughs> You just, it happens. I mean, I remember one time I was on stage and um, I don't remember what was said, but it was 
I do remember it's incredibly anti-Semitic and incredibly like Holocaust like based someone yelling it at me. Everyone's drunk. There's 80 people. I'm in a town. I don't know where the nearest police station is. They know where I'm sleeping. I have to handle it very, like, carefully. Diplomatically. I weigh 140 pounds. I can't, like, <laughs> I can't be out here, like, defending my people in Vagerville, Alberta. <laughs> it's not the time. It's unfortunate, but you, but you literally know are... I'm sure there's a Chabad close by, right? There's a Chabad everywhere, even in Alberta, that you could go to and say, hey, we got some anti-Semites here. We got to take care of. Join me, right? Oh, they're going to be pretty sad when they Sounds find like out how many people they got to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> they got to deal with a lot of a province. I want to talk a bit more about your connection to being Jewish. Like, how do you self-identify Jewish, culturally Jewish, or do you do any traditional stuff? How does that fit into your life? I definitely do like the family things I love, like the family aspect of Judaism, like my family gets together, Rosh Hashanah, Passover, all the holidays we eat, we celebrate. I no longer go to synagogue. I haven't gone since I was like 20 something. Okay. Um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely just Jewish. I think for me, Judaism is something that's just like in me and mm. I can't get it out. What did, Sarah, what did Sarah Silverman say? It like oozes through her? Yeah. Every time I do mushrooms, I'm like, get this out of me. <laughs> I'm like complaining about everything. We, as we were earlier complaining about hair loss and many other things earlier. Yeah. Do you feel like you identify as a Jewish comic or a comic that happens to be Jewish? Definitely. Oh, that's a good question. I never even thought about that. Oh, wow. I don't know. I think it would be unfair to people who truly go to synagogue and like do the whole like like wear a kippah and are Hasidic for me to be like, yeah, I'm the Jewish comic. But I definitely feel like I am a Jewish comic. I mean, you don't have to be it's a big uber, part of who I am, but I don't talk You don't have to be uber religious to be Jewish. We're all Jewish, even if we don't do anything, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like that is a lot and of... And I think I am a, a Jewish comic. We've stamped you with it. You are now officially a Jewish comic, and you can never leave that um, behind. <laughs> Amazing. And you also spent some time in Vancouver, right? Yes, I lived there for about eight months. Um, I just went through a breakup. I lost my apartment. It was also post-pandemic where you've been trapped in the same place forever. And I was like, I haven't experienced anything in so long. So many Torontonians came to Vancouver in the pandemic. So many. Yeah, it, it was more free there. It was horrible in Ontario, so it was nice to get there i think vancouver's the worst city in canada i'll put that on the anyone can come at me in any way i'm not scared why just a bunch of rich people driving their teslas past like a dying man you're like this is this feels wrong you know it's funny that you say that because i was just taken in a car ride the other day in a tesla driving by the whole homeless uh encampment in victoria yeah. downtown so that was my experience yesterday it just feels very wrong <laughs> you're like i don't think this is this seems like what someone would write in a book that we'd read later on and like a religious figure be like hey don't have this yeah very dystopian didn't feel good i didn't like the city i also found it just not very nice people wise but beautiful gorgeous come at me though if you like vancouver come in my dms yell at me i know you're jewish i know you're going to 
So can you tell us a bit about what your comedy special is? What, what's the focus of the show? Um, the focus is me. <laughs> I think that's all comedy is, is you just kind of talk about yourself and your life and people either relate or they don't, and hopefully they do, and they find it funny. Uh, it's comedy's just, like I said, I, I think the ultimate journey in comedy is just figuring out who you are and sharing that with people, and hopefully people connect. Fair. And then what do you hope that happens after? What, what's the next steps right now in your comedy career? Oh, it's a long journey. I mean, you got to be patient. I could sit here and want fame or like to get everything. But I mean, hopefully some people see the special who really like it. And I can build like a smaller niche fan base as I continue on in comedy who really connect with the work I do. That's the goal. Being personal probably leads to that, hopefully. And I don't know. I don't control the outcome. So all I can do is put all as much work as I can into the project. Uh, well, Jacob, can you remind our listeners when, what day your comedy special will drop and where people can find it? You can find it on my YouTube channel, Jacob Balshin, on July 7th. It's called 30 and Breathing Funny. I recorded it on my 30th birthday with my two best friends. Well, with that, Jacob, I wish you all the best for success in the future. I hope your special is viewed by, what did I say, one million? I hope you finally find the one million fans <laughs> that you are that you want to. And You're are, just manifesting it. We're going to manifest it together here. Um, and I wish you all the best. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you having me on. So now it's the time where we talk about what's going on in the Canadian Jewish arts world. David, what's on your radar? This is on my radar right now. It's at the Toronto Fringe Festival. My friend and colleague Michael Albert Ross has written a show called Good Old Days. And if anyone recognizes his name, he's best known for his shows Tough Jews as well as The Huns. Um, He's described by the Toronto Star as, quote, one of Toronto's most exciting playwrights. So his show is going to run from July 5th to the 16th. I will not be able to see it. I will be in Victoria. But if you are in Toronto or the greater area, check out his show and tell him David says hello. Alana, what about you? Um, I don't have anything that's going on this week, but coming up in July, uh, there's an event in Montreal that sounds super fun. It's being put on by the Jewish Museum of Montreal um, in conjunction with uh, the Mile and Chavura. And they're doing an event that's called... Blah, blah, blah. What is, is what is Chavrua? The the Myland Chavura. It's like a very, very multi-denominational gathering of Jews uh, that happens like usually in a coffee shop. So like they it's 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 I would say more in like the reform reconstructionist kind of vibe. Like there's guitars and microphones and it's more, mostly a sing-along, but I, I've been a couple times, most people don't even wear kippas, they come with je- in jeans, they come with their kids, and it's like a bunch of like not religious but still like traditional and ritualistic Jews that moved to the Mile End and they started their own little like mini synagogue kind of thing and they do it out of different coffee shops. It's really it's really cool. Oh, that's right up my alley. You should check it out next time you are in the city. Yeah. But if you are in the city, you can check out their event coming up with the Jewish Museum of Montreal called If Not Leonard. And it's talking about how Leonard Cohen is like the most recognizable Montreal Jew. But what about all the other Jewish Montrealers like that we need to remember? Yes. Sure. I don't think I'm on the list, but, you know, <laughs> if they're taking any extras, you can let me know. So, they're, yeah, they're having a whole event um, where they're bringing in an activist, a filmmaker, an author, a musician, 
Um, and it's going to be like a whole like discussion about learning about different kind of Montreal Jews that have made an impact, which sounds super, super fun. And then if you're in Toronto, there's so many different events coming up in July. Um, one of which was, which is already on is if you haven't checked it out yet, the Babinyar exhibit, which we talked about in a previous episode is still on. Um, and also, uh, our last episode, Less Than Kosher is having a special event coming up on July 6th. Um, where they're going to have Shayna Silverbard, I said that wrong, Shayna Silverbaird and Michael Goldless, two of the two people we interviewed, along with the director, uh, Daniel Rosenberg. They're going to be doing a Q&A um, uh, following, I guess, like a screening of the show, because since we interviewed them, they actually won the TJFF's 2023 Audience oh, Award. Um, so they're going to do like a, a screening and a chat. So definitely check that out and, you know, there's like Ashkenaz Festival coming up. There's all sorts of stuff, but we'll talk about that as it gets closer. I'd like to think, I think we had a hand to play in, in their winning their awards after the interview. I think that's really what propelled them to stardom. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely us. <laughs> um, anyhow, David, you're still in Victoria. How's your, uh, how are your rehearsals going? We're deep into it right now. We have another week before we open. Um, it's it's a it's a big show. I'm playing the lead as I mentioned. So just um, I'm drilling myself with all the lines every single day after I come home. I just I just nice. I'm, I'm somewhere thick into it, Ugh. and I, I've started dreaming about the show. I don't know if you know that moment. Oh, that's what that's happens. the best. No, it's the worst. I, hate I love it. when that happens. No, I can't. Sleep no, anymore. I mean no, no, no. There's two versions of it. One of it is like when your character in the world of the play like seeps into your dreams and then you're like, wow, I'm really in it. The other kind is when the lines of the show go on repeat and you can't sleep. That's Which what, one is yeah, it? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the latter for no, sure. That one's horrible. That used to happen to me in theater school all the time. I would It would be like the night before opening night and I would just lie awake in bed the entire night, just the entire play running through my head. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It, it is. But that being said... Um, <laughs> I hope you recover. Thank you. Once the show's over, I'll I'll take a day off, maybe. Um, that being said, yeah. though, I was able to sit down with chatting with my director for a few minutes. We talked about the show, uh, the playwright's Jewish background, as well as my director's surprisingly Jewish background, which I did not oh. know until I started rehearsals. And remind me, the show doesn't have any... The show doesn't have any Jewish content in it, yeah? It's just you happen to have some Jewish team? Um, the director's mother was Jewish, and the playwright is is a very famous, prominent Jewish-Hungarian playwright. I did not know that when the script was provided to me, but oh, he was a big, big deal in his day, uh, Frenik Molnar. And there's nothing very Jewy about the play, but that background is there. So my character, we've decided my character will become a Jew. Will become a Jew. Will, will not, he Whoa, will not. What does that he mean? will not embrace his Judaism in the show. But the character that I'm playing has, we decided, is Jewish. is Jewish in in the show. He's not having like. I was gonna get really graphic there. They're gonna do a whole conversion ceremony on stage with a you know Brit Mila, but no, no, you're just gonna be Jewish. So I was able to sit down, take a few minutes out of the director's time. We sat down with my microphone, and I asked him some questions about the show, about his background, and surprisingly, the Jewish elements uh, in the play. So take a listen. All right, Kevin. So if you want to just tell me a bit about yourself. Well, I kind of grew up in Western Canada, mostly in Calgary. And got into theater when I was in high school and um, always loved the kind of uh, physical elements of theater over the verbal. So I had an opportunity to go to the Canadian Mime School. It was in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario. It was kind of an adjunct to the Canadian Mime Theater, which was really popular at the time. There was this time in the um, 
80s where physical theater, mime in particular, was really in vogue. There used to be these mime festivals across the country, right? Annually or biannually in places like Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg, etc. So graduating out of that school, myself and two other guys formed a mime company, which we set up in Calgary and we toured in our 20s for about uh, 13 years all over the world. So that was uh, really a wonderful uh, uh, introduction to the world of professional theater and then after that I uh, kind of made a transition into um, directing and after that into teaching and have really been fortunate to you know have taught at some very good schools universities in uh, Western Canada and uh, an opportunity to direct about 90 plays theater for young audiences outdoor theater some Shakespeare it's uh, really been a wonderful journey so how long have you been living and working then professionally in Victoria? In Victoria, we've been here, it'll be going on five years in November. Okay. And then bring us up to speed on this show. What is the show about? Who wrote it? Yeah, the, the play The Guardsman, which I happened to see in Calgary at Theatre Calgary when I was in grade 12, uh, was written by Ferenc Molnar, a Hungarian. And uh, it's kind of like a comedy of manners, you know, a little bit sort of Shaw-like, but also uh, wild like and a little bit of Moliere as well. There's kind of uh, some very interesting mixtures of styles and genres. And um, I had, uh, as I said, seen the show in uh, when I was in high school and kind of loved the verbal play and also the absurd plot. The absurd plot of uh, two actors who are at the top of their game in 1910 in Budapest. And um, the uh, male actor has been married to the female actor for six months and suspects her of potential infidelity. So he goes undercover, so to speak, def uh, disguises himself as a guardsman, like an imperial guardsman from the Rome, uh, Russian court, and tries to see if his uh, wife will fall for him, thus proving that she would be, um, she would cheat on him. And so that's where the comedy and mayhem ensues, leading to a comedy of agony. <laughs> The agony of love. Yes, of course. And one thing, when I was researching this play, when I was asked to perform in it, it was interesting that the playwright himself was a Jew. Yes, absolutely. His, uh, his parents, I think, were of German-Jewish extraction and ended up in Hungary, which uh, had a history of being sympathetic to the Jews at a time when there were regular persecutions, pogroms, being kicked out of various countries. But um, we learned from one of the actors in our company, yourself, actually, <laughs> that 25% of the population of the two cities of Buda and Pest were um, in fact uh, Jewish. Yes. And uh, luckily for myself and my wife, four years ago, we went to Eastern Europe, partly because um, my mother is Jewish. In fact, uh, my Zadie and Bobby were uh, Orthodox. And when my mother married a Unitarian, she was kind of kicked out of the family. Uh -huh. And until the grandchildren came along, um, she was not really welcome and I think that's why we moved west because they were based in Toronto and it was just easier to stay away because there were hard feelings and then that got resolved with um, thank goodness when grandchildren came along and we got to know you know Bobby and Zadie quite well because of that so um, my mom who turned 90 uh, she passed away over a year ago but she turned 90 and we decided to go to Eastern Europe to kind of honor her. She lost most of uh, her family in the Holocaust. And so we went to Poland to go to Auschwitz. 
And we also went to visit many of the um, sites where the um, synagogues, the most beautiful synagogues in the world, were, um, were situated. So it was, you know, it was a trip for sightseeing, but it was also a, a trip to pay honor to, um, to those in my mom's family who had been lost and to her and to the, very, uh, to the diaspora of um, Jews that had suffered so much. Now, I know you've mentioned you're not religious, but any of that kind of background, that Jewish background, has that, I would say, almost not infiltrated, but absor- has that, you've been absorbed by that throughout your life growing up? Yeah, it's been very interesting because, um, you know, Jews experience this all the time, feeling like the outsider. And so for me and my brothers, it was also this idea of kind of being an outsider in any religion because we, um, we identified with many of the traditions that were Jewish, but we were secular. It's almost like you're being an Israeli. You know, you, li- you live in a country that's a Zionist country, but in fact, you know, many Israelis are secular, so they don't, uh, they're not particularly religious. So we were aware of what a Seder was. We knew what Shabbos was. We, we were aware of Purim and Hanukkah and the rest of it. But my mom practiced Christmas as, as well as any Christian. And, uh, you know, we had the benefit of both sides of that um, coin, so to speak. So, yeah, the, the trappings of, um, of the religion, um, but not so much the, um, you know, not so much the tenets or the beliefs of the religion, because none of us uh, in our family are religious uh, following any faith. And for the show, what do you hope that people who are coming to see the show, what do you hope they take away it's a really good question. I think it's um, primarily, you know, thematically the show is about love and how we struggle to find our identity in love or in love affairs, how love affects us, how, um, you know, love can define us or can throw us to and fro. So I think it's an opportunity for people to reflect on how, what, what has the role of love been in their life? whether it's a romantic love or the love for family or the love for even one's country, right? What are the things you love and how does that help define you? Great. Thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel-Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. If you like this episode, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.